Welcome to the 1990 NBA Draft. This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, something new for the Sport Blokes as we delve into the topic of NBA redrafts with the benefit of hindsight. And we look at the very different stories of Hank Gathers and Jared Mushtaf. Yeah, even though the draft class wasn't spectacular, a lot of really interesting stuff out of this. Let's go. So, Stewie, something a bit different and fun again this week. And obviously, we've had the NBA draft recently, so the timing is pretty good. Something that we've been looking to sink our teeth into for a while now. We've teased this a little bit. And look, it has been done before, most notably by Bill Simmons, Book of Basketball 2.0. Yeah, but they started in 1996. We're going back a bit further on this one. Yes, that is true. That is true. So we have started to redraft chronologically. And we've decided that 1990 was probably around the right time. It was around when we started watching, maybe a little tiny bit before I started watching the NBA. But it's definitely in that kind of sweet spot for us. And we do know the career paths of everyone pretty much. Exactly. So. Yeah. And we see, so even though we might not have seen them in their rookie season, we did see these blokes play a lot or some of these blokes as we'll get to. Yes. Now we'll aim to do a bunch of these. It's hard to know how far to go. Obviously we don't have the full story of the last few drafts, but we've got a few to get to before we get to 2015 or later anyway. So well, if it. we're starting in 1990. This is it. We don't know who won the Trey Young and Luca trade just yet. Uh, well, at this point we do know. Hey, Dallas won the trade. Trey could go on and win championships in NBA yeah, and Luca could get injured. It's true. We don't know. And that's why I, I struggled with legacy stuff before all is said and done. You are absolutely right. But at this point, Dallas won that trade. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about 1990. So, Shuri, I know you've got the rules there and you'll go through those very shortly. But I actually watched this. It's on YouTube and I've watched it twice now because we thought we were going to record an episode and we ran out of time. That's unusual for us to run yeah. out of time. I thought you were just going to say you were bored. Yeah, but no, I watched it twice now. So it was a draft a bit devoid of big men, especially scoring big men. Interestingly, what I found was that 52 of the 54 players selected went on to play at least one NBA game. So in that sense, it was a good strike rate. In another sense... No, it wasn't. Only six <laughs> players at some point of their career were selected to play in an NBA All-Star game. And I reckon half of them would have been late like, late 20s and later. And maybe one and done, or only a handful, like, like not kind of perennial all-stars, yeah. maybe a couple. And it's interesting because nowadays kind of the general thought is two of the top five picks will go on to be all-stars and the other three will be all kind of busts, I guess, in that sense. So to only get six in the entire draft class, it's not spectacular. Doug Collins and Rick Barry were experts at the desk. I've got to say, Doug Collins seemed to know his shit a lot better than Rick Barry did. Rick Barry, probably doesn't sound surprising. Rick Barry was probably drunk. <laughs> Steve Cybersnapper Jones and Craig Sager. Well, he wasn't Cybersnapper at the time because no. the World Wide Web was still a he couple was, of years he was, away. He but... was Whippersnapper. Yeah, indeed, yes. Uh, they were invading personal space, talking to all the players. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's I'm serious. Just about every draftee, they invade their personal space to the point where Steve Jones is like tugging on Gary Payton's earring for some reason. Oh, wow. Had this weird obsession with Gary's earring. Yeah, weird. Mm. A lot of talk about underclassmen who should have been in which draft. Or like, oh, he should have been in, in the next draft or... Nowadays, we just take it for granted that yeah. probably most players are freshmen, right? He's a, he's a player between 18 and 22. Yeah, exactly. So that's a really interesting kind of kink that doesn't seem to happen nowadays. A lot of familiar names on teams I didn't realise. So, for example, I forgot that Vinny Del Negro and Danny Ainge played for Sacramento. Really? Okay. Yeah. Danny Ainge, I remember very... I know Del Negro wasn't there for very long. Yeah, and even Ralph Sampson played on that Sacramento team yeah, as well. Did, like Dave just... Corzine was playing... I always Dave used to love Corzine. Dave Corzine on Lakers versus Celtics, but uh, he was playing for the expansion, recent expansion Orlando team. Yes. For example. 
There are a couple of trades, nothing too big, so I don't think I'll go through them. But as they always do in drafts, they had kind of an appraisal of what where they're at, what they need. One of the needs for the Denver Nuggets was a healthy Lichty. Top of the list from memory, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't remember Todd Lichty being as good a player as he was in the NBA. He was obviously a, a quality NBL player with the Wildcats, but he was pretty bloody solid. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mid-teens sort of guy in points, Boy, just points per game, yeah. Injuries just derailed his career. Played with Andrew Vlahov at Stanford, of course. And which is why he came to the Wildcats in part. I mean, there's a lot of talk doing the rounds at the moment that Chris Williams was the best one and done NBLer ever. Todd Lichty. Well, I think he only played one season, didn't nah, he? A couple. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, it's not an NBL episode. He's a two and through. <laughs> there you go. You've got some rules, Stewie. We need some groundwork for this stuff. Yeah, look, we have kept this really, really simple. You obviously do have to have rules, but we just thought two is pretty straightforward. So the first rule, we don't look at the needs of the team drafting at that point in time. So for example, New Jersey has the number one pick in the draft. Their needs at the time might have been power forward. They might not have been. But that's why they drafted Derek Coleman. Yes. Yeah. And we'd be here forever if we had to do it yes. that research. But in actuality, the Nets roster from the previous season had five players listed at power forward. They had Chris Dudley, Derek Gervin, Jack Haley, Roy Hinson, and Anthony Mason. Well, I'd argue that Dudley and Haley were centers. But yeah, a lot of bigs there. They I guess though, I guess they decided they weren't impact bigs. Yeah. Speaking of guys that you forget, I actually forgot that Anthony Mason was with the Nets for a while. I did recall that, but it was very briefly, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, very briefly. Now, in actual fact, and somewhat ironically, given how this one starts off, their most glaring issue was actually at point guard. They only had Lester Connor and Mookie Blaylock on the books. So picking, oh, I don't know, Gary, Gary Payton, Payton. Yeah, the glove to be. Yeah. Might have made a bit more sense at the time. But it might have. They picked up Kenny Anderson the following year, so I guess it all came out okay. Yeah, well, he was a handy player. Yeah. But we're purely picking who we feel is the best player available on the board at that time. With the benefit of hindsight, of course. Correct. Second rule, we will only be drafting to a level that we see fit, so based on the strength of the draft. For example, today, it feels like going up to about 12 or 13 is right, while a stack draft like, say, 2003, for example, we might push more towards 15 or even higher. Yeah, it seems silly to go too far down the list when we could spend more time on interesting guys and interesting stories and mm. just talking about blokes that, quite frankly, didn't have great careers. Ah, let's let's spend 20 minutes talking about Judd Butchler. <laughs> hey? Well, at least he won championships. But yeah, the simple reason for this, as you say, by the time you get to the end of the second round, there's usually a bunch of guys who didn't even play a single game or they had a very short career. Well, in this case, only two guys didn't play a single. But yes, you're right. Correct. Yeah. But there were guys like Milos Babic taken with pick 50 who played 86 minutes in 21 games across two seasons or Stefano Rusconi who was taken pick 52 who played a total of 30 minutes across seven games. Didn't even come across from Italy until 1995. So by the end of the first round, you'd be looking at guys like Judd Butchler, who I just mentioned. So it's just not feasible to draft that far down. Another thing to jump on there, there are a couple of internationals that came over late. So Tony Kukoc is the obvious one of the players that actually did something. True. He, he was three or four seasons yep. before he came. Three, I think, before 90, he 90, came across. Yeah, 94, I think. Yeah. And I will mention, we'll take into account players drafted in rounds one and two that actually had a career in the association. Or notable undrafted players. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a handful of them too. So those are the rules. Pretty simple. The beauty of it all, though, is that it's subjective. A player that I don't particularly think highly of, Nath, you might have really high up or vice versa. So our lists could be very similar or they could be very different. I suspect this time they'll be fairly similar. In the future, we might be a bit more different. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. But as we're starting with the draft from when we were both six years old, the issue that comes into play is that. We've watched fewer games, I guess, for these guys as we would have guys that were drafted in the mid-90s or the late-90s. 
So, you know, we just... We're relying on stats. Yeah, we, we do the best with what we can. Yeah. But without further ado, let's get stuck into redrafting the 1990 NBA draft. Yes, I think David Stern's at the podium now, Stewie. With the first pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the New Jersey Nets select Derek Coleman from Syracuse. The sport blows. Select. I'm, of course, going to take Gary Payton. It's very obvious. Had a really long career, solid decade of 19 or 20 points a game with a steal and seven assists. And another notable thing, I think, is that some of his stats went up in the playoffs. So when guys play better in playoffs is a big deal. No surprise at all. I think you've got his accolades down there as well. Yeah. I mean, Obvious. Nine-time All-Star, nine-time All-NBA team player, two first teams, five second teams, two thirds, nine-time All-Defensive first team and the 1996 Defensive Player of the Year. It's, uh, it's a really huge member of the NBA at 75 team, 35th all-time in scoring, 10th all-time in assists. Russell Westbrook will probably pass him next season. But yeah, it's, it's hard to make a case for anyone aside from GP. I mean, he was an Iron Man. They were talking about his trash talk even on that draft coverage back in the day, and that only got better with time as well. One of the great trash talkers of all time. And if the NBA had a father-son rule, you'd take him so that you could get Gary Payton the second too. Yeah. Contributed to a finals team not so long ago. Bloody well, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think anyone in this draft was more influential. He drove guys to be better. He wasn't the only guy to get a ring. He did get that championship in Miami later in his career. Yeah, I had to rack my brains because I was thinking, oh, he missed out on that attempted to Lakers super team. But yeah, right at the end of his career, he got that Miami one. Yeah, But he was the only guy on this list to be arguably the best player on a finals team. Yeah, fair call. Yeah, he was Sean Kemp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at that time, it was sort of yeah. one and one. One and one A, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think... They had a great duo. Oh, they did. They did. They had a great team, actually, those Seattle They teams. really did, yeah. They... Shrimp and Hersey. Yeah, Hall, yeah, yeah. Well, they made the finals for a reason. But they, they played Chicago well. And yeah, as I said before, he was an Ironman, played 82 games in nine of his 17 seasons, only dropped below 77 games twice. And 98-99 was a lockout year. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. So, and, I, and speaking of that lockout year... I forget that he played in Milwaukee for a little while. He did, yeah. It was... Yeah, so obviously they traded Kemp to the Cavs and they got rid of Gary Payton not too long after to bring in Ray Allen. It was probably quite a canny trade, actually. Mm, Kemp yeah. won it. It was a three-team trade with uh, Cleveland and Milwaukee. I think Vin Baker went to Seattle. Yes, correct. Ty- Tyrone Hill, I think, went across to Milwaukee from Cleveland with probably some other bits and pieces, and then Kemp went down. Mm. I think that sounds about right. But yeah, Peyton, I do remember him spending a bit of time there, a little bit of time with Boston as well. Yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah, he racked up a few teams at the end of his career, not unlike a lot of players true. at the end, yeah. No, thanks. Very, very solid start. Oh, David Stern's at the podium again, Shui. With the second pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Seattle Supersonics select Gary Payton from Oregon State. The sport blows. Select. It's got to be Derek Coleman. Yes, so, definitely. Originally drafted first. I think he has to drop down a spot. Pretty logical, I think. I don't think there's anyone else really you could make a, an argument for. Maybe Tony Kukoc, but I think the lack of individual awards for him probably is what maybe pushes him down the list a bit. Derek Coleman, Rookie of the Year in 1991, 1994 All-Star, 93-94 All-NBA third teams, 16.5 points, nine rebounds, 1.3 blocks a game for his career. One of only three guys with Hakeem Olajuwon and Draymond Green with a 20.10 rebound, five assist, five steal, five block game. Wow. Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah, he produced straight away, didn't he? The rookie of the year thing you mentioned. If you look at his stats in those early years, very, very good. Indeed, five years, five straight years of really good production. Eight if you include one in the middle. I assume maybe he was injured. There's one kind of blip 
But those first eight seasons, for the most part, are really good. Didn't play a hell of a lot in the playoffs, and that is something that I factored into my drafting. But when he did, he was very good, and that was highlighted by a 24-and-a-half and a 14, nearly a 14-and-a-half in the 93-94 season, although it was in only four games. I think it's the Knicks, I think. Yeah, well, back then that would have been five-game series, so it would have been a 3-1 series. I think it yeah. was against the Knicks, if I remember correctly, yeah. It's, it's weird. Like Sport Illustrated once remarked that Coleman could have been the best power forward ever. Instead, he played just well enough to ensure his next paycheck. <laughs> and it probably describes him well. He's one of the great what-ifs of the 1990s. Like If he'd had the drive that Gary Payton had, we might well have been talking about him up there with Carl Malone and Tim Duncan as the all-time greats in that power forward position. Yeah, it's possible. But he's instead a guy who just looked like he was supremely talented, but just underperformed a little bit. Well, it just goes to show it's really hard to be consistent. And 82, it's a long season. You know, a lot of people, their bodies aren't going to hold up. And if you are having weight issues here and there, like he did a little bit, it does impact. And that's why I always worry about Zion. It's hard to have a long career if you're battling weight issues. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that about, I guess, the missing games and stuff. That's probably one of the huge differences between him and Gary Payton. We talked about how Iron Man, yeah, Payton yeah. played every game, basically, he could. Yeah, yeah. Coleman only played more than 60 games twice in his last 11 seasons before he retired. Five of those seasons were 37 or less. He fell off a cliff. He really did. Yeah. Then you had the arrests. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. according to NBACrimeLibrary.com, one of the more <laughs> random references I'll make, <laughs> Coleman is the NBA's all-time leader in arrests while an active player with seven. <laughs> <laughs> he should have played for the Portland Jailblazers. He should have. He should have. He actually had four in the space of 18 months. So these ranged from an assault charge in 1994 to a DUI in 2002. He had interfering with a cop at a nightclub to urinating in a restaurant dining area. Yikes. Like, I forget yeah, all of this. There's all of this. He had alcohol abuse issues as well. Yeah, I do recall that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah his, his potential Hall of Fame career really just derailed. And it's almost fitting that his career ended after being cut by the Pistons three games after being suspended a game for being involved in the Malice in the Palace incident. I forget that he was involved in that. And I think I've said that before when we've talked about it. Yeah, mm. fancy that. There you go. Yeah. His last game, real crazy one. Rip Hamilton hits a shot with 1.4 left that won the game after the ball actually came off Detroit. And there was a possible goaltend against Rashid Wallace that was uncalled on an attempted game winner from, oh. from Rasul Butler. There you go. So there you go. But mm. no, Derek Coleman looks solid. And do you know what is, is really funny about this? We'll talk about this quite a lot in a few of these guys down the track. First half of the career, amazing. Yeah, started really well. Second half off a cliff. That is just, that's this draft. To yeah, take. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that in this draft. Really? You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think David Stern's back with the third pick. Oh, is he? <laughs> I love it. With the third pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Denver Nuggets select Chris Jackson from LSU. The sport blows. Select. So here's where it gets interesting. And I guess there are a couple of points where you could potentially go after a couple of guys. I did go for Tony Kukoc in the end. Basically, what got him over the line here for me is that he was a really key contributor on multiple championship teams. Now, okay, it was only 13-ish points here and there, but I mean, that's a decent haul. That, a sixth man kind of thing. Best season was his second last season with the Bulls in 98-99 when he averaged nearly 19 points a game, seven and a half boards and five and a half assists. Obviously, after Jordan had left, 
But I think third pick's about right for him. But I think that's also a really key thing with Kukoc is that we can't really measure him on the points because he played behind Jordan and Pippen. Apart from that time he... Uh, Kukoc for the win! It's gone! He played in front of Pippen on that occasion. He, he, he did. <laughs> but and, and, but, but this is it. When Jordan yeah, passes, no, you're right. You can't... And this is exactly right. Stats aren't everything. There's so much context that you need to look at. Had he been on a crappy team, he easily could have been a 28-5 and five guy. Easy. Well, I mean, he was that that season that you mentioned. He was, exactly, 18. yeah. 18.8, because he, yeah. he did have, what, season or two in Atlanta. He had Milwaukee. The Atlanta. Milwaukee is the one I forget about. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then Philadelphia as Philly, well. Philly, yeah, yep. <laughs> Forgetting everyone who played for Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, yeah. I think this is right. I had Kukoc at third as well. Um, if anyone's wondering, originally drafted at 29th as well. Oh, true, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of a look at guys like Cedric Sabalos and Kendall Gill, but I think, as you mentioned, the key member of those championship teams, that's the big thing. Sixth man of the year in 1996 as well. He's, yeah, he's that one guy that Jordan Pippen actually took serious in the 92 Olympics to the point where they basically said, we're going to shut him down. Yeah, that story in the last dance about Kukoc is fantastic, yeah. isn't it? And he stepped up. That's he, he he passed the test that they set for him. Yep. And that's how they knew this could be a bloke that could help us win a championship. Absolutely. Look, for him, it was about two things, really. His playmaking ability was spectacular. He made really great reads. He, obviously, being quite a tall guy, could make passes over it. You, you know, know, I love a tasty dish, yeah, Shui. Yeah. He could throw some of those like over-the-shoulder passes and around the back. And well, yeah. That's how he got the nickname, right? Yep. Bounce pass to perfection. Yep. Oh, was the waiter. Yeah. I was making you wait. Sorry, I was trying. <laughs> oh, Nathan, the second incarnation of the waiter. No, in truth, I actually had to wait a second to think about it. Oh, right. My brain ticked in eventually. Yeah. Ran away. Yeah. But no, he's obviously his shooting ability as well. It was over 40% from three in the 95-96 season, which back then was kind of the probably the equivalent of 45, oh, 46 back then. Especially like, for a guy who's like, what, 6'10ish nearly? Yeah. Definitely. And on top of that, one of probably the top 10 European players of all time, deserving member of the International Hall of Fame. Plus, he won Croatia's National Amateur Golf Championship in 2011. Well, there you go. So, pretty decent player. Indeed. <laughs> oh, Shui. David Stern's up. With the fourth pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Orlando Magic select Dennis Scott from Georgia Tech. The sport blows. Select. This was a tricky one. I'm going to take Kendall Gill fourth. He was originally drafted fifth. Take him slightly ahead of Cedric Sabalos. I think he was the guy that I was kind of in between. But yeah, I think fifth is probably more likely for Sabalos. I'll see where you draft him. But I had Gill at four too. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, look, real explosive scorer. A little bit deceptive athletically. I think the difference really is how Gill played both sides of the ball. Like Kendall holds the NBA record with Larry Keenan of the Spurs. Most steals in a game with 11. Led the league in steals in 98-99 with 2.7 a game. He's probably one of the more unlucky guys in terms of accolades when you look at it. Never made an all-defensive team because of incumbents like Mookie Blaylock and Eddie Jones. Never made an all-star team, even though 96-97, nearly 22 points a game, six rebounds, four assists, and two steals. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And yet Joe Dumas makes it with less than 15, two and a half rebounds, four assists and less than one steal a game. It was... Sometimes names help. The gentleman's club. Yeah, well, I don't know what the record records were of the respective teams, but uh, oh, look, he might have been a good player, bad team guy. They would have been pretty handy. That was, yeah, they were decent. They had a decent yeah. roster, yeah. So, yeah, I, th I think probably for me, it was like the most disappointing part of his career was the trade from Charlotte. It's so funny you say that, Shui, because my strongest memory of him was at Charlotte. But he only played his first three seasons there and then another one not long after, after a couple of years in Seattle. I remember him being at least half his career there. 
So mm. it's really funny what the memory does. It is. Yeah. But like when you look at that Hornets team, you know, they had Larry Johnson, they had Alonzo Mourning, they had a few guys kind of in the middle of their career, like Muggsy Bogues and Del Curry. Hersey Hawkins. Yeah. So we'll get to Hersey Hawkins because he's part of this whole, oh, okay. whole thing. Yeah. So they traded him in 1994 to Seattle with the Hornets' 94 first round draft pick, which ended up being Carlos Rogers, for Eddie Johnson, Dana Barros, and the Sonics' first round pick in 94, which I believe ended up being MVP threat Brooks Thompson. Can't trust people that have a surname as a first name. You can't, I absolutely yeah, can't. No, Thank no, you. No. And then the Hornets traded Dana Barrow, Sidney Green, and Greg Graham to Philly for two OK seasons of Percy Hawkins. Percy Hawkins, OK, there you go. Before he was traded to Seattle with David Wingate for Kendall Gill. Hey, there we go. And then they traded him again for Kenny Anderson. Ah, just, Well, he was a handy player. Yeah, but he was but, he was trailing off then. I, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, just, that's a big what if they just kept him, Zoe and LJ. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely a, a decent rebounder for a guard. The stats didn't always show that. It is an indictment on the total draft when our fourth pick only had career averages of thirteen, four, and three across seven different teams, albeit in sixteen seasons. So the longer you go, your stats will deplete a little bit as you become a bench warmer. In the draft coverage, he was looking like Neon Deion Sanders with the flat top and the white suits. Looking very slick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Handy player. But again, as I say, if he's our fourth, it's already looking yeah. like a weak draft a little bit. It's, isn't it? it's a very weak draft. Oh, David Stern's back. He really is. And I think it's our first time to differ, Stewie. Ooh. With the fifth pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Kendall Gill from Illinois. The sport blokes. Select. Now, I don't think you have this guy at five. I've gone for Antonio Davis. Mm. And the reason that is, is kind of about impact. So, okay, yes, he had lower numbers than Cedric Sabalas, for example, who might be the guy you have here. He is, for the record. Yeah, okay, there you go. But I don't know. He was a really important player on a number of Pacers playoff teams that got close to or, or even made the finals on one occasion. And he had a 17-10 and 10 for Toronto in the 0-1-0-2 season. I wonder if it was a little bit like the Tony Kukoc thing. Had he been on other teams, he might have had higher numbers. But because he was on some pretty good paces teams, had a pretty long career too. I think that's why I go for him. And I always like a bit of defense and rebounding grunt too. Oh, that's fair. Look, I mean, I had, I had Davis at six for the record, so not too far off there. Yeah, All-Star in 2000-2001. His stats were as good as Andrew Wiggins this season when he started the All-Star game. So yeah, well, there you go. There is that. Yep. Look, the Toronto years were well and truly his best in terms of the numbers. Yeah, constantly averaging double-figure points, close to double-figure rebounds, one to two blocks. I actually, I do remember him certainly more fondly with Indiana. Obviously, yeah. the, the Davis boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a, a really, really tough sort of team. Those two guys just carved out a stone. It was a prototypical 90s team, that Pacers team. They were. Yeah, lower scores, defense, Reggie going off. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was a good player though. Like good, good speed up and down the court, good finisher around the ring. Didn't often shoot a good clip for a big guy, only actually above 50% once from the field, which yeah, is okay. a bit surprising. But yeah, he was solid. The trade Toronto made to get for him, Jonathan Bender, ended, yeah. ended up an absolute cracker. Yeah. You were, yeah. were pretty high on Bender. Well, I, I just, I, I really liked him because he, I just thought he might have Kevin Garnett potential. So obviously it was only a couple of years after KG. Bender was out of high school. It's always hard to know how these high yeah. school kids will go. Yeah, yeah. I, it was it was worth taking the flyer on, but yeah, it didn't Kwame pan out. Brown or Thon Baker. Well, Thon Baker. yeah. Sorry, Thon Baker, not Thon Baker. But uh, yeah, end of the career for Davis, a bit marred by injury and controversy. He had a five-game suspension for entering the stands to confront a fan in Chicago who was supposedly abusing his wife. Oh, 
Okay. Uh, the New York days and actually played his first three professional years in Greece and Italy after being drafted. Oh, so there, you go. there you go. So it wasn't just the internationals. No. With the sixth pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did David Stern just forget the name of the Minnesota Timberwolves? <laughs> With the sixth pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Felton Spencer from Louisville. <laughs> the look of panic. Oh, man. The sport blows. Select. Yeah, so I'll take Cedric Sabalos at six. He was originally drafted 48th, which is a very, very big jump up. I want to start the whole Cedric Sabalos thing with a massive what if. Now, we obviously all know that the 1993 NBA Finals ended up with the Bulls winning the title against the Suns in six games. Very easy to forget, though, that Sabalos was a very important part of that Suns team. Yeah, yep, yep. And he actually hurt his knee in game six of the conference finals against Seattle and missed the entire finals. Mm. That is why Richard Dumas ended up starting for them. Ah, I do forget that. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, what if he couldn't actually see through the blindfold in the dungeon? Well, <laughs> I, think, I think we all know that was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if you look back, so 30th of March, 1993, it's the run-up to the playoffs. The Bulls are playing the Suns. Sabalos had 27 points on 13 of 20 shooting, held Scottie Pippen to 19 points on 8 of 19. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, Pippen had 7 rebounds and 10 assists, but Sabalos made it harder on Pippen than Richard Dumas. It's a very, very strong case that if Sabalos Oh, Dumas was too short. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Sabalos plays in that. They probably win that series. It's quite possible. Yeah, it's interesting. as a champion, he maybe stays in Phoenix. The Suns maybe go back. It's, it's hard to know. Butterfly effect stuff, yeah, and, yeah. And then, you know, Barkley's legacy is... Yeah, yep, Sha- yep. Shaq can't give him shit because he's actually won a championship. Oh, we better slap an asterisk on that Bulls championship. We better. <laughs> <laughs> we love asterisks. He's just a real unique scorer, though. One of those guys that had funky release points. He found creases really well. He was a great cutter. Just, yeah, one of the best natural scorers in this entire draft. And one of only three players in the draft with a 50-point game. Can you name the other two? In this draft, I reckon Rumi or Robinson might have had one. Um, Willie Burton did. Willie Burton? Willie Burton did, definitely. Uh, Oh, there's a few blokes that could have. I don't think GP did. No. Wouldn't surprise me if Dennis Scott did. Oh. Mahmoud Abdurraouf. Chris Jackson. Yes, so there you go. There you go. Not there in the end. Yeah. I didn't need to go to the third umpire. It's a tricky one. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, the other thing with him, obviously, yeah, we know that the blindfold dunk was bullshit. <laughs> but did you know he played for the USA All-Stars against an Indonesian All-Star team? And then he played for them. He, yeah, he switched jerseys halfway through the game and scored for Indonesia. I remember you mentioning this in a This Week in Sport, I think, or something back in the day. It's probably just in the lead up to when we recorded last time. <laughs> no, no, I think it did appear in a, in a This Week okay, or something. Yeah, yeah. It was some one of our segments. Yeah. Also Kobe yeah. Bryant's second cousin. Ah, I'm sure you've told me that and I've forgotten. There you go. Yeah, funny old career, really. Like, how's this? So when I looked at the stats, he had one of his highest scoring seasons in his second last season at Dallas with nearly 17. Yeah, right. So as you say, always a scorer. But the reason I did have Davis above him was because I felt like Davis maybe did a little bit more. But hey, scoring's important. And as you say, maybe that finals is different. With the seventh pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Sacramento Kings select Lionel Simmons from LaSalle. The sport blokes. Select. Yeah, look, Stewie, I'm going to take Tyrone Hill here. Role player. 
He was picked 11th in the original draft, so it's similar to where he was originally. He had 12 and 10 in the playoffs the year before they made finals, so he did have a couple of pretty productive years around those late 90s, early 2000 years when he was playing with Allen Iverson at Philly there. Terrific rebounder, good defender. He's those good lunch pail kind of big guys that every championship team needs or every good playoff team needs. I think just very similar to Antonio Davis, but I think Davis had a slightly higher ceiling and I think Hill's drop-off was probably a little bit steeper at the end of his career. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, Probably the big difference. For me, I reckon it was between him and Popeye Jones for the guys I would least like to have headbutt me. Don't he looked like he had the sharpest head. <laughs> what a rant. He's like made out of granite or uh, something. That's, that's quite funny. Um, probably one of the more random all-stars in NBA history as well. And that season with Cleveland where he had 14 and 11. Yeah. So, okay. Yep. Now, pretty, look, as you mentioned, very handy on that Philadelphia 76ers team that made the finals. Just a real stay in your lane sort of guy. Yeah. He knew his role and he played it well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. Good mid-range. Never really tried to get out beyond three-point range. Only took 13 threes in his 14-year career, funnily enough. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I'll tell you what, let me list... They were probably all half-court heaves, were they? Oh, maybe. I'm not <laughs> Probably at the end of all, quarters and games. All against the shot clock. Yeah. Let me list off some guys who have taken more than 20 threes in a single game. And this is not just guys like in the last couple of years. Like you got Marcus Smart and Danny Green, yes. But going back further, Damon Stoudemire. Yeah, okay. George McLeod, Michael Adams. George McLeod. Well, Michael Adams had a 50-point game once. He did, yeah. Yeah, oh, George McLeod loved shooting threats. That's all he did was shoot threats. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't surprise me, to be honest. Yeah. But probably why, unlike Antonio Davis, he shot over 50% for his entire career. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's. I think that's a fair pick. I had him at seven as well. In the eighth pick of the 1990 NBA draft, the LA Clippers select Bo Kimball from Loyola Marymount. The sport blokes. Select. I'll take Chris Jackson at number eight or Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf as he was sort of known later. Later, yeah, changed his name when he converted to Islam. Now, originally drafted at number three. I think if you were looking at each player's best individual season, you could actually make a solid case for keeping him at three. 1992-93, one most improved player. It went from 10.3 to 19.2 points a game, handful of assists. He was part of probably one of the most fun teams in the league. When you look at that Nuggets team with Takemi Matombo, Lafonso Ellis, Bryant Stiff, Robert Pack. Oh, the team that upset that Seattle team. They, yeah. They shocked the world. Yep. First number eight seed to knock off a one seed. And, you know, he was one of the guys that really drove that team. I mean, obviously they had the anchor at the back, Matombo just blocking everything that came near him. But I mean, they took Utah to seven games as well. That was, oh, they, that was a pretty good team. They had some athleticism. They had good defenders, as you say. That Lafonso Ellis one-handed block where he kind of wraps it behind his back is on, just... On uh, Marlon Max. Oh, just fantastic. Just fantastic. Yeah, it's funny. The only reason I had him this low is longevity, as you say. So he had seven really, really good years, and he was a key contributor on two playoff teams, as you've mentioned. But yeah, he just fell off a cliff, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I do want to actually talk about that. This is probably one of the greatest injustices in the entire history of the NBA. And there have been some pretty bad ones over the years. So in 96, he converts to Islam. He changes his name to Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, as we mentioned before. He's still playing well. Fourth straight season, averaging between 16 and 20. And then all of a sudden, it just comes crashing down. Mm. He had a bit of a history of not standing for the national anthems. He would stay in the locker room or he would just keep stretching. And when he was asked why, he stated that the Quran forbid him to participate in nationalistic rituals and that the American flag was, quote, a symbol of oppression or tyranny. This country has a long history of that. I don't think you can argue the facts. You can't be for God and for oppression. Mm, okay. Which is 
seems like a fairly well thought out statement. Yeah, look, I personally am a big believer in live and let live. Funnily enough, to quote a title we've used recently, if someone wants to express their free speech by not standing for an anthem, they should be allowed to do so. Who's he hurting? Well, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. I, and often often they get a lot of media criticism anyway, so they're, they're still going to cop it, you know? So you don't need to suspend them or any of that shit. This is it. Yeah. And I mean, look, nowadays the southern states would probably still hate him for it, but the rest of America would be all for this whole freedom of speech thing. Instead. Well, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well there was a football player that never yeah, played again. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you look at what they did in the bubble with all the names. and True, and yeah, yeah. Right. Vote for Millsap. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But instead, the NBA suspended him indefinitely and made reference to an NBA rule that stated that players must line up in a dignified posture for the anthem. And all the bullshit that he copped off the court, I mean, he was getting hate mail, death threats, people spray painted KKK and swastikas on his house. Yeah, right. Wow. Eventually, someone actually burned his house down as well. Wow. I forgot about that. All because of his religious beliefs. Yeah. Like, it, it just doesn't impact these people's lives. No, no. Well, that's hate, isn't it? That's, it is. Well, it's kind of, I hate to say, it's kind of somewhat making his point for him a it little is. bit, isn't it? Absolutely it is. So, yeah. The, the thing I remember about him, and, and unfortunately we couldn't find it, we both tried to, was there was a really great article in One on One about him in, I don't know, maybe 93, 94-ish around that time. We both couldn't find it, unfortunately, the way our storage is in our houses they're hard to get to those old i've got them somewhere i do have them somewhere i found five folders just for them the one that's missing is the one that has it. yeah yeah that's fancy that maybe he pulled it out for this episode one time and then forgot to put it back in and god knows where it is yeah but that was a really interesting article hopefully one day we'll be able to find it and talk about it but uh yeah fascinating career and if I'm not mistaken, I think he had a 50 in college, you know, only like his fourth game. Wouldn't surprise me. He so, actually started playing basketball very late. He, yeah, it was a microwave. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes us, yeah, fascinating Didn't story. even know the rules when he played his first game and he scored like 30. Wow. So, yeah, natural yeah, talent. He, he was. End of the 95-96 season, because of all this bullshit, Denver trades him to Sacramento for Sarunas Marshallonis and a second round pick. Within two seasons, his minutes per game had halved. Yep. And at the end of his contract, he couldn't even get a tryout with people. So he ended up trying his hand in Turkey. He semi-retired, played half a season with Vancouver before finishing his career in Russia, Italy, Greece, Saudi Arabia, and Japan. Wow. So if you look at this guy, though, yeah, as we mentioned, during his brief prime, one of the best flat-out shooters in the game, one of only five guys, along with Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, Russell Westbrook, and Luka Doncic with a 30-point, 20-assist game. Yeah. Which is spectacular. Oh, sure is. And... I'm confused by this. Apparently, he doesn't qualify for the list of top free throw shooters, but I don't know, maybe it's volume or something, but he would actually... Surely he would have played enough. I would have thought so. He should be sitting second all time behind only Steph Curry. Yeah, okay. 90.5%. So, yeah, if the NBA had it shit together and had a, a solid sort of podium for him to sort of say that stuff without being persecuted, he could be on a top three pick in this draft still. Just quickly, it's funny that we pick him at eight because this is also the spot where the original eighth pick, Bo Kimball, also had issues with being buried on a bench, which we'll talk about at the end as well. We will, we will indeed. Oop, David Stern sighting. Nope. With the ninth pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Miami Heat selects Willie Burton from Minnesota. The sport blokes. Select. So he was originally drafted 27th. I'm going to take Eldon Campbell here. And originally it was kind of between him and Dennis Scott. But looking at the stats, looking at the longevity, looking at the playoffs, you've definitely got to go with Campbell. He actually had a better career than I remember. I used to refer to him as old man Campbell. Old man Campbell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never be an old man Campbell. But uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, tism. Yeah, after last time. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm going to go with him. He had a very good, productive career. Good big man that contributed to teams and played a long time. And that's the key, teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dennis Scott, once he left Orlando, pretty much fell off a cliff. Yeah, It wasn't the same guy. I agree entirely. I had Campbell at nine as well. Solid finisher around the rim. I read a really great quote on the Lakers ground forum that said, quote, he probably would have meant more to Laker fans if he didn't have the charisma of a potato. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favourite quotes. Uh, of all time. Yeah, but you know what? Some teams, you can't have a team full of alphas. So every team needs a couple of blokes that are lunch pail guys that disappear into the background. You Kevon, know, Kevon Looney's like yeah, a yeah, prime example. Yeah, or Robert Williams. Oh, well, no, he is a bit of a weirdo. He's, he's, yeah. But, but, but he, like, he doesn't say anything. But not on court. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not demonstrative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you talk to a lot of Lakers fans, they hate the fact that they sent Campbell and Eddie Jones to Charlotte for Glenn Rice, J.R. Reid and B.J. Armstrong. I would probably agree with that when you look at how good Eddie Jones and Campbell were. Yeah, I mean, they won a championship with Glenn Rice, but yeah. 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 And look, Jones probably needed to go because of Kobe Bryant and the development there. But Well, and I also think that Jones wanted the big bucks. And as we know, he went to Miami in the end. So I, I don't know if they could have kept him in the cap. I don't know if those, that might be some revisionist history from Lakers that don't know about True. the cap. True. Yeah. Look, good chemistry with Baron Davis during his days with Charlotte. That team just unfortunately never had the right balance of firepower to get the job done in the playoffs. He was a crucial part of that Detroit championship team in 2004. His numbers probably don't say it, but just having another guy who could match up one-on-one with Shaq. Oh, huge. Like, Yeah, yeah. They needed six fouls from a number of big guys. But definitely. He, but he was such a big body as well that he actually could hold his own field yeah, yeah, fairly yep, well. Really yep. low center of gravity, yep, which yep. helps. Good defender, um, yeah. Surprisingly small hands for a guy his size, but... Yeah, uh, okay. But no, he, he was a really, really important part of that team. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. So in real life, Felton Spencer was picked above him and they were kind of similar types of players. But as far as the career unfolded, he had a better career than Felton Spencer. Felton Spencer. Well, he was decent at out of college. T- yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. He had probably one of the best shooting percentages in college history. Yeah, Felton lots Spencer. of dunks. Yeah. Lots of dunks. Yeah. With the 10th pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Atlanta Hawks select Rumiel Robinson from Michigan. The sport blokes. Select. So the obvious choice would be Dennis Scott, the one that we were kind of grappling between. I think with Campbell going nine, he has to go 10. Really great fit on that Orlando team with Penny and Shaq. Real high percentage outside shooter. Shot less than 37% from three just once in his time with the Magic. So very, very good opening up those lanes. Definitely. Uh, he got along really well with Shaq because he was such a joker as well. So I think that probably helped a lot. I played a half a season with Dallas before being traded to Phoenix for our number four pick, Cedric Sabalas, funnily enough. Ah. And, and it is funny because D. Scott was having a pretty decent season with the Mavs, probably the only half-decent season he had outside of Orlando. Oh, the Mavs were pretty shit back then. Yeah, but once he went to Phoenix, minutes and productivity cut in half. For Sabalos, his time in Phoenix that season wasn't great. But as soon as he went to Dallas, he was up at nearly 17, the season that you mentioned previously. How's this? When he was picked, he was the ACC single season high in points at the time and averaged a shade under 28 per game. Hmm. So it didn't translate. And in the ACC, very good conference, Georgia Tech. All they wanted to do was talk about his weight on the draft. He he was a solid dude. (laughs) But yeah, looking at his numbers, looking at his stats, even the playoff numbers are a little bit worse than what I remembered. So in some ways, he kind of didn't live up to his potential in the NBA. Not some ways. Yeah, it's a bit of a a disappointing one, actually, in some ways. Yeah. But we'll give him some credit. He did hold the record for the most threes in a game for a while with 11. And the 11th one he made off an assist from Brian Shaw, who was the previous record holder. Oh, very nice. That's kind of cool. Yeah. With the 11th pick in the 1990 NBA draft, 
the Golden State Warriors select Tyrone Hill from Xavier. Oh, we're getting to the dregs now, Stewie, a little bit. We are. I mean, this bloke did have a good college career. He, We're actually picking him higher than he was picked in the original draft, of course. The sport blokes. Select. I'm going to take Lovort. Yeah. Decent big man for the Clippers, but she, those Clippers teams were shit. <laughs> it's not a team you wanted to be picked on, was it? Really? No, no. 1990 to 1996, he was between 16 and 17 points a game and 10 rebounds. And then all of a sudden, the back started playing up and he was a completely different player. Again, he's one of these guys where had the back stayed healthy, you'd think... He oh, would, solid double-double. Yeah, yeah. you think he would have finished above Tyrone Hill and Antonio Davis on this draft, but it just... Yeah, yeah, definitely, yep. yep. Like, just a huge what-if and, yeah, probably would have been more like an Elton Brand instead of one of these late lottery guys in a, in a pretty crappy draft. Yep. With the 12th pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the Houston Rockets select Alec Kessler from Georgia. The sport blokes. Select. So number 12, yeah, it's kind of got tricky. Originally I had Jason Williams here, but I've actually gone with Lionel Simmons. Yes, because he was a scorer and he had a very good start to his career. So have you seen those videos on YouTube where they show over time, there's the like the bar graph. Oh yeah, I love those. The Lionel Simmons ones in those first few years from the 1990 draft, he's like, top of the pops for a long time there. And then he finally trails away as time goes on. Yeah. Well, again, I'll give you the the quick stats. First year in the league, 18 points, 8.8 rebounds, four assists, 1.4 steals a game. Very, very solid. Oh, he probably came runner up in rookie of the year with those numbers. He was all rookie first time. Yeah. Yeah. Second season, 17 points, eight boards, four assists, 1.7 steals and blocks a game. So like nearly two blocks and two steals a game in his second season. Jeez, what happened? Do we know? Well, this is it. Well, no, we do. Yeah. Similar in year three, slight drop in year four. And then year five, a few injuries, but most of his minutes went to Walt Williams. Uh. And so all of a sudden, his last three years in the league, he didn't average more than six points a game and he was out of the league in 97. Wow. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of like a Danny Granger, Paul George thing. Yes. I love Danny Granger coming out of college, New Mexico. Oh, yeah, loved, yeah. Loved he had him. a really good start to his career. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those guys people forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good I mean, analogy. A couple of little injuries, and all of a sudden, his spot gets usurped by the younger guy. Great analogy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah all of a sudden, it's yeah, it's kind of game over. Lionel Simmons. Yeah, he's another one of those crazy what ifs. Like if you look at his college numbers for LaSalle, averages over his career of twenty four point six points a game, ten point nine boards, one point eight steals, one point nine blocks a game. National College Player of the Year, fourth most points in college history behind Pete Maravich, Freeman Williams, and Chris Clemens. He was an absolute beast. Yeah, scoring, uh, an out-and-out out scorer. And just for some reason, they decided to go with the younger guy. And Walt Williams, he was he was good. He was uh, a similar player in some ways, I guess. It was more of a scorer than anything. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, just, interesting. Well, probably a better They player. like long socks. Better, yeah, love the long socks. <laughs> the wizard. Yeah, just uh, another one of these many what-ifs. And then finally, I know I know you're not you're not a big fan, but a bit of trivia for the Seinfeld fans that might not know: Kramer's character was originally called Kessler, and of course, Alec Kessler was picked at this pick originally at number twelve. <laughs> Alec, Alec Kessler, yeah, we'll yeah. Get to, we'll get to him in a second. Yes, actually. we will. Yes, we will. But finally, finally, one more to go. With the thirteenth pick in the 1990 NBA draft, the LA Clippers select Loy Vaught from Michigan. The sport blokes. Select. So I'll take the guy that you didn't take in the last pick, Stewie. Jason Williams, 21st overall originally. Handy career, good big man. Played on some playoff teams as well. 
but only a role player. That's the key here, isn't it? And and geez, not without some weird controversies it's, in his life too. It's the off court stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a good shooter. Mm, or no. a bad shooter. Oh yeah, no. Bad, bad shooter. He's I think a bad shooter. Yeah, yeah. 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 One of the most superb rebounders in the entire league for about three and a half seasons. Well, it was it, crazy. Well, I mean, he averaged nearly 13 and 13 in 96, 97, yeah, 97, yeah. 98. Towards the end of the 98, 99 season and the first year of a six-year $90 million contract. Broke his leg in a collision with Stefan Marbury. Mm, we're never the same again. Do not let anyone tell you that Stefan Marbury was good for teams. It was terrible. <laughs> he actually would have been fourth in the league in rebounds, 11th in block shots. But after that, the doctors put a plate, five screws into his leg, and he never played in the NBA again. There you go. So, yeah, another guy, massive rebounder, tough defender, just no longevity, unfortunately. And as you mentioned, there was the stuff after, after the career. Yeah, so he accidentally shot his limo driver in 2002, managed to escape with an aggravated assault charge and only served 27 months of a five-year sentence on good behaviour, I guess. And then there's some more as well. Now, I forgot about these. In 2009, he was tasered by police in a Manhattan hotel room after there were reports that he was suicidal and violent. Now, obviously, suicidal. If anyone is struggling, we encourage them to go and seek help. That is not any laughing matter at all. And then about a month later, he allegedly punched a man in the face in a bar fight in North Carolina. So, yeah. Oh, even there was a DWI in 2010. The rap sheet's quite oh, it's, it's driving while drunk. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, it's any wonder he battled mental health after the limo incident. So, oh, course, yeah. yeah, I feel bad for making that joke now. But. One, one little light, though, at the end of the tunnel for him. He wrote a book in 2012 called Humbled, Letters from Prison, about his struggles and it's, uh, it's meant to be a really interesting read. Yeah, so okay. Maybe yeah. something good too. I have uh, a lot of basketball books on the shelf. That's not one of them. Mm-hmm. I might have to pick that one up. That's it. So I guess that's the end of the guys we're going to be drafting. There are still a few little interesting stories. I wanted to take a couple of seconds to mention the three guys, the rest in pieces for the three guys who've passed away. Mm. Alec Kessler, the guy that you mentioned before, mm. three and a half seasons in the league, became an orthopedic surgeon, funnily enough, which is quite impressive being that he was seven foot tall. Yes, In 1991, though, during the playoffs, he and two friends took their boat 100 miles to the Bahamas looking for honeymoon spots. They suddenly went missing for two days. And unfortunately, uh, they prompted a pretty extensive Coast Guard search. They turned up safely, but, you know, it was a a bit of a much ado about nothing. Yeah, interesting, interesting. But when he retired, the Heat actually still owed him $3 million on his contract. So he was earning $300,000 a year for a decade after he retired. And unfortunately, passed away in 2007 with a heart attack during a pickup game. Mm, not so, the first one of those. No. Well, the pickup game in this case. Well, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing about watching the draft coverage, he was the first major surprise of the draft. Okay. So he was picked a lot higher than a lot of people expected. Uh, Dwayne Shinchius. Yeah. yeah, Ivan Drago. Well, Ivan, what is it? Radovadovic. <laughs> In the, in the movie Eddie. Yeah, yeah, with that mullet. Yeah, he, he looked like Ivan Drago though to me he, he in the did. draft coverage. That's yeah. true. Spurs GM Bob Bass actually didn't like the mullet, told him to cut it off. Chief of Severance, Mattingly. <laughs> well, he did. He cut him off and sent Bass an envelope with the shavings in it. <laughs> he did strike me as a bit of a joker. It's no wonder that he played a comedic role in Eddie Absolutely. because on that draft coverage, there's just something about him. Yeah, I kind of like him. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. good dude. Yeah. Um, actually testified in the Jason Williams trial, funnily enough. Yeah, right. Said that Williams shot his dog with a shotgun. So he's, he's um, yeah, he's, he's had a... A very interesting little life. And unfortunately, passed away in 2012 with a rare form of leukemia. So right. Not yeah, great. yeah. And then Alan Og, one of my favorite names of anyone I had a card of in my youth. He passed away in 2009 with a staph infection from his heart valve. So, mm. not great. No. 
Now, there are a few other guys that I guess we didn't pick. You mentioned Bo Kimball. Didn't really get any opportunities in the league. Lasted three seasons, just kind of buried on that Clippers bench. Yeah, universally loved in the draft coverage. Got a lot of cheers from the crowd. Uh, some people were surprised he fell that low. Was a real scorer. And you just, you have to wonder if he'd been on another team with another coach, he might've had a totally different career for whatever reason. He was buried on the bench. He could have put up Lionel Simmons numbers. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. Uh, Willie Burton, we've kind of mentioned him, one of the more random 50-point games in the, the history. Probably only Tony Delp, Tracy Murray, Corey Brewer, and Walt Wesley had a 50-point game with a lower point-per-game average for their career. Okay, there you go. But yeah, he even had a weird career. Four seasons in Miami, was really solid. Philly for one season where he had his best season. And then he just went to Italy in the CBA for a, a little while for some, I don't know why. Maybe they paid him more? Yeah, I don't know. But then he, yeah, basically went, had a year at Atlanta, San Antonio, Charlotte, headed to Greece, USBL, G League, Russia, CBA, Lebanon. Like, just pick somewhere. I'm, I've got to be honest, I don't remember him being a Spurs player, but I guess I was probably still quite young at that point. But I think he was there for a, 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 long, a good five not minutes. Long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a few other guys. Dee Brown. I mean, I think the dunk comp kind of made us feel like he had a better career. Than yeah, him. and the hype as well. I think there was a lot of hype around him that he never lived up to. Yeah, good three-point shooter. 40% for his career, basically. But yeah, not amazing. Terry Mills. He was in One that, of those stretch fours. Yeah, that good Michigan team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, most consecutive three-pointers made in NBA history with 13, tied with Brent Price and Shake Milton. Ah, yes. Yeah, I remember him launching threes for those Detroit Piston teams. Yep. Dave Jamison, there's a random one. He was drafted by Houston, had 14 threes and a 60-point game in college for Ohio versus the University wow. of Charleston. Yeah, okay. Uh, played less than 90 games, though. Yeah. There are a few other guys. Kevin Pritchard, the current president yes. of basketball for Indiana, was drafted by Portland, I think. Uh, he was the first player ever signed by the Vancouver Grizzlies but never played a game for him. Yeah. And had a 5-22 and coaching record with the Blazers. Uh, there's a few other guys like Greg Foster had Bowie tattooed on his left shoulder because his friend said he looked like Sam Bowie. Not David. Not David Bowie, no. <laughs> um, Tony Massenberg, who previously held the record for the most teams, played with 12. Yeah, he had a long career. Yep, Ish Smith, uh, I believe, broke that just recently. Very recently, yeah. 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 Well, he has to suit up and play. This is true, Yeah, which yeah. he will. But he's been traded, yeah. yeah. Yep. I met a couple of guys that were not so... Uh, not so much on the right side of the law, let's just say. Mm. Tate George went to jail for nine years for a Ponzi scheme, which is not so great. Prosecutors claimed that between 2005 and 2011, he persuaded people, including former professional athletes, to invest in what he promised would be high-return real estate developments in Florida, Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey. Basically mm. just scam people out of a shit ton of money. About yeah. half, half a billion, I think. Who was that bloke that was doing NFTs and people were investing and then no one ever oh, in the God. current league? I think who that was. Yeah, well, we'll we'll revisit that one, I'm sure. Mm. And then, yeah, there's Clinton Porter did something in the NFL we might talk about in Christmas in July. Yes. Mm. And the other guy, Jared Mushtaf, who was on that Phoenix Suns team that lost in the finals in 93. So his 27-year-old, we'll say associate, because not really a, a girlfriend from what I can tell, but uh, he was someone basically that he was seeing he got her pregnant. She, well, apparently, anyway. She was, oh, this story is terrible. She was pregnant, said yeah. that it was his. He didn't want the child, offered to pay her $5,000 to get rid of it. And not long after that, when she said no, she was found dead, unfortunately. And mm. Mushtaf's cousin, Lavoni Wooten, is serving life in prison without parole. There is a long alleged history of anger issues relating to pregnancies with Mushtaf. And to this day, it's hard to know whether he was involved. But if you ask, you know, Althea Hayes' family, there's no doubt. Mm. And... Really sad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically a lot of 
interesting characters in there. A couple of, I guess, final notes with me before you finish with a really interesting story and sad story as well that we've intentionally kept for the end. When Lionel Simmons referred to Coach Dick Motta in the draft coverage, I'm sure it's he sounded like he said Stigmata. <laughs> he was being coached by Stigmata. Do you remember the Mata brothers on the Jim Owen show? Yes, I Stig. Who was the other one? Stig oh. and... Anyway, um, and Romeo Robinson, it was on that Michigan team that broke the heart of Andrew Gaze's Seton Hall team in that title game, of course, on one of the most bullshit fouls you'll ever hear. Oh, man, it's probably up there with that one from the uh, the Spain game in the Olympics. <laughs> oh, um, don't get me started. But, uh, yeah, Romeo Robinson was one of those weird ones. He looked really great in college. His college highlights were good. They were really good. Very good handle. Yeah, zippy little player. Just yeah. never really found the right situation for no, him. Yeah. no. So as you mentioned, one somber final note to leave this episode on, and it relates to the story of Hank Gathers. Now, like most of these drafts, there is a really huge what if from this one, even bigger than those surrounding Chris Jackson and Kendall Gill. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that is the story of Hank Gathers. So an absolute beast from Loyola Marymount, a 6-7 forward, averaged 32.7 points a game and 13.7 boards in his junior year became just the second player in Div 1 history to lead a nation in both scoring and rebounding. Mm. Ridiculous. Mm. Not the best conference in the world, but hey, you still gotta you still gotta do it. You still gotta score him. Yep. Then followed it up with 29 points and nearly 11 rebounds in his senior year. Now early in that senior year, he collapsed in a game against Santa Barbara and was diagnosed with an abnormal heartbeat. His cardiologist puts him on medication, returns to the team a few weeks later and just didn't look like the same player, didn't have the same bounce, looked a little bit sleepy and a bit drunk. Gathers would actually attribute this to the medication and he started speaking with the cardiologist. They slowly, slowly lowered the medication. He returned a bit to his old self. He had 48 and 13 against the Shaquille O'Neal and Stanley Roberts-led LSU team, mm. which is very impressive. Mm. Gee, they had a wall. I forgot they had Stanley Roberts. They did. <laughs> Beast. Yeah. The dosage was cut further on the proviso that Gathers would, would go and see this guy before the WCC tournament to run some tests just to make sure it was safe. Gathers never went for those tests. And mm. the doctor called him to say he needed to come and see him straight after the tournament. Mm. Unfortunately, during the semi-final against Portland, he converts an alley-oop dunk in the first half. And just 13 seconds later, they're setting up for a press and Gathers collapsed right next to Portland point guard and current Miami Heat coach, Eric Spolstra. Wow. He tried to get up, stopped breathing shortly after and was pronounced dead at a nearby hospital that evening with the official cause of death, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And of course, there's some really strong parallels here, not just with the actual condition, but with the way he reacted to doctor's orders with the late Reggie Lewis and Boston Celtics. Correct. And that's the exact same condition that took Reggie's yeah, yeah. life in 93. Yeah, yeah. Teammate Bo Kimball, who was drafted eighth in this draft, shot the first free throw of every game in the NCAA tournament left-handed to honor Gathers. He went three for three, which is very impressive. Funnily enough, they spoke about in the draft coverage that he'd shoot his first free throw in the pros left-handed too. But I don't think he was going to continue that because coaches might have been just yeah, off well. it. But his first one was meant to be. Now, I don't actually know if that happened or not, but uh, yeah. Now, Loyola Marymount made the Elite Eight. They lost to an absolute juggernaut in UNLV. They had Larry Johnson, Stacey Oldman, and Greg Anthony. Ah, uh, yes, those Jerry Tarkanian rolling rebels. They were very, very good. Yep. And look, Gathers to this day is one of the all-time great what-ifs, kind of like Len Bias and Reggie Lewis. Yeah, it just wasn't meant to be for him, but yeah, one of the more harrowing what-ifs in NBA history. Yeah, I was going to say, probably only behind Len Bias as, a, as the biggest what-if. Yep. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. 
well, let's be honest, no, probably not the most overwhelming draft we'll do in this series, but uh, <laughs> still some pretty interesting stories and some real heartbreaking what-ifs. Oh, fascinating. A lot of interesting stuff. But great to finally get a start on this one. Yes, you've been chapping at the bit, yes. I have been. Some really fun ones coming up in the list, including the next one, 1991. Will Larry Johnson hold on to number one or will it be Mike Uzzolino? My money's on Santa back. Santa back. <laughs> what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, look, really interesting. What's fascinating for me is how the memory fails. So I jogged the memory on a few different things. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.